Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who love to read. Readers who love to write. And anyone who loves words. Today we have Taryn Frazier with us and we got to know Taryn through Instagram a little bit and I particularly got to know her through Flash Fiction Magic, hashtag, um, which Emily Barnett instigated and started uh, and we talked to Emily uh, just recently on the podcast so you can go back and listen to that episode but Taryn is a participant in that and her stories are just always I love them they're just like some of my favorites and so we started connecting I got to beta read for her a few months ago which was just a delight because her story is beautiful it was truly wonderful and one of my favorite reads recently <laughs> and so it's just so fun to have you here today Taryn and thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me well, we always start out um, with our first question being basically, what is your story with story? When did you first fall in love with story? Do you have any stories from your childhood or from growing up that uh, had an impact on you? I feel like my story is fairly uh, run of the mill when it comes for when it comes to um, writers. I was a really voracious reader. I remember standing in the shower and reading the back of the shampoo label because I didn't have anything else to read. There had to be a rule at my house, like no books at the table. Um, so I just loved books. I was, I was a military kid, so we moved around a lot. And I, I don't mean this in a sad way, but I feel like stories can come with you yes. um, in a way that people can't. I read pretty exclusively fantasy I would say not, I mean, you know, you have, you have to read the books you have to read for school, sure. but I was a super big fantasy speculative fiction reader. Uh, so it's kind of funny that the book that Beth read is not, it's a, it's a, it's a contemporary, <laughs> but I then did not really do anything with writing in my twenties. In college, I enjoyed my English classes and then got a biology degree oh, really? yes. <laughs> but I fit in as many as many English classes as I could fit so I'd be like mm -hmm. taking biochem and then go relax in British literature <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> and then you know I, I did some copy editing as as a job but it took until my fourth pregnancy which was a doozy of a pregnancy that I just needed to get my mind off my body and so mm -hmm. I started writing and I haven't really looked back. I found it so therapeutic. I think too, with, with four kids, time is such a limited resource yeah. that writing doesn't really feel onerous. It feels really therapeutic. Yes. Um, so here I am. I'm so glad to have found the Instagram community. I feel mm. like a little lost sheep on Twitter, but um, <laughs> <laughs> as maybe everyone does, I don't know. Yes. I don't know if that's just the algorithm. Um, but on Instagram, I, I feel like the algorithm has nudged me into such a warm community that flash fiction magic group is magic. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any advice then for parents writing or just like, how, how do you, because I agree, I think writing can be such a, a gift to be able to have something that's mentally stimulating and for yourself, um, especially when your kids are young. But it can be so hard to work that into balancing yeah. family life and all of that. Do you have any advice for that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like mine is kind of counterintuitive because, you know, there's there's the button chair advice. And that is really true. Like you do, if you do sit down, you will write, yeah. even if it's 100 yeah. words or it, it might end up being a thousand words that night. But a lot of writing doesn't actually involve sitting down. Like mm. I'll wake up in the middle of the night with my two year old 
and I can be thinking about something, you know, I've written, you know, I've thought about plot holes and fixed plot holes in the middle of the night. If I'm sort of gardening with my kids or, or going on walks with my kids, I can let my mind wander. And um, I think also because writing becomes this limited resource, writer's block is less of an issue, maybe for me. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm so ready every time I sit down. That makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my phone is filled with crazy notes and my fridge is filled with illegible like pieces of paper where I'm like scribbling down in between doing dishes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my advice is writing doesn't necessarily mean you have to be at a computer. Yeah, that's so good. And then just before we move on into other things, do you have any favorite books? I mean, you said you read so ferociously as a child. Was that anything that stands out as a favorite? I feel like you'd know all the ones I'd I'd list, <laughs> all, all the all the old classics. I, yeah. I do tend to tend to skew old and classic. My dad was raised in England, so I did a lot of like mm. the C.S. Lewis, the the Tolkien, the. Yeah. But I. I do love humor in my writing. So I'm a big like mm-hmm. Diana Wynne Jones, uh, Lloyd Alexander. Like I like, I like some levity. I was also really affected, not, not a speculative fiction writer, but O. Henry, who's most famous yeah. for um, Gifts of the Magi. Yes, absolutely. Okay. But he is just a super quirky, super funny short story writer. And I love him and want to be him. <laughs> He's dead That's now, so amazing. maybe I don't yeah. know at the moment. <laughs> I love the gift of the Magi, and I didn't know that he had that kind of feel to his other writing because yes. the gift of the Magi is so serious and yes. has that. I am going to check that out. Any he, specific ones that you love? Or? Oh man, he's sorry. The, no, no, that's good. He's the master of the twist. Um, so, so all almost every story will just have that zinger at the end. He has sort of those, those sort of heartfelt gift of the Magi stories. He's got some Westerns, but my favorite are his Victorian romances. So if you can find any short stories that are like the, the Victorian romances, those are, I just love them so much. I'm <laughs> um, tracking those but down. You, yeah, yeah. You got to find it. There's a, there's a good, I forget what publisher puts it out, but it's just, you know, the, the collected stories of O. Henry and you go read those Victorian romances. <laughs> That's a great tip. Thank you. Yeah. We're always up for new recommendations. Yes. <laughs> well, and you guys are voracious. Every time you post a new book, I'm like, really? You're on book like number eight of the month. I'm on halfway through number one. <laughs> That's Bethany, though. Yeah, like, I don't <laughs> sleep, so I have a problem. We are kind of like the, the tortoise and the hare, I feel like. <laughs> It's great to see, like, and get those book recommendations. Definitely. I'm always looking at her instead of being like, oh, another one. Big part of my therapy is reading. I'm right there with you. Um, Well, something that I think you are a master in, Taryn, is um, voice. And I think it would be interesting to just talk with you a little bit about voice. But before I did that, I wanted our readers to have an idea of, or our listeners, I guess, have an idea of what I mean by that. So is it okay if I read just a couple sections from some of your flash fiction magic pieces? Oh, sure. Okay, so I'm going to just read three of these. So you get kind of a feel of some of Terrence's writing. Pandar Ramyan, cadet first class, lived to make the lives of us fourthies a living hell. Large in every dimension, practically cubroidal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm never sure how to pronounce it. He had the self-satisfying look of a bull rhinoceros. Not that I'd ever seen a rhino, except in old Terran vids. But when one came up on a screen during Astrobio, I busted out laughing. Got four demerits. If only Hundar would go extinct too. So that's 
a little taste, first paragraph of one piece. Um, and then let's do, Emery ran the numbers and frowned. 20.1 thousand Instagram followers, a 3.98 GPA and zero boyfriends. How had she gone through four years of chemistry classes and emerged with only a handful of disastrous first dates? Picking up her glitter encrusted phone, she doom scrolled through Valentine's Day posts. Hashtag bay, hashtag true love, hashtag forever, until her stomach threatened to refund her fair trade latte. At least she thought it was fair trade. One Google search led to another and M? M. Emery Jean Dodd. Emery woke from her tech trance and peered around her phone. Oh, hey, Landon. She stretched the crank in her neck. Is your mom flying in for graduation? Okay, I'll stop there. And then one more from another piece. Spurs flashing in the milky Cornish sunshine, Sir Arendt rode up to the mouth of the Great Cave, trying not to look at the blackened bones which snapped and crunched under his charger's hooves. The dragon poked her head out of the darkness and huffed a smoke ring. Not again. Come forth, Sir Arendt cried, his voice high and tingy inside his helm. He cleared his throat and tried again. Come forth and do battle, worm. When she emerged, all sinuous muscle and iron scales, the knight couched his lance and kicked his heels into his horse's flanks. The dragon held up one razor-edged claw. A moment, if you please. So I think that those three are, are really great examples of, I mean, they feel so different, right? You have this first one, which is this like sci-fi space cadet kind of feel. You have the second one, which is this average teen, like <laughs> worried about um, boyfriends and technology and her Instagram followers kind of feel. And then you have this like very fantasy um, night charging the dragon kind of thing going. And I think what was, what's fascinating to me, and, and I see this like every time I read any of your pieces, it helps me to understand voice better because there are things in all of your work that feel like I could pick this out in a crowd. Like this is you. Um, it is your voice coming across. There's a specificity to your language and to the um, descriptions you use. Like you don't say that she was just scrolling Instagram. You say she had this many Instagram followers and you use the actual hashtags and, or when the cadets talking, there's language that's specific to this world um, that wouldn't be anywhere else. And I, I think you're really good at that. And that comes across in all of your work across the board. And yet there's also, I think it shows something about voice. Like when we talk about voice, we talk both about the author's voice and we talk about the character's voice. And so in each of these, like the character's voice, the voice of the piece itself is so different, is like vastly different from each other. And yet you can still see that overarching, like this is the author's voice. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but I, I think it's voice is one of those things that gets really muddy to talk about it's it's kind of confusing often as authors and like how do we develop our voice and what does voice mean and how do we get into the voice of the character and all of that and so I guess I, I'm just curious like how, did you work on developing your voice how did that work when you approach a piece like your tone is so different from all of them do you think about that going in do you just try to like get into the mindset of the world and the character and then let that come out? Do you have any tricks for that? Maybe is what I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the most worthwhile um, and free resources out there for short fiction is if you're familiar with um, Brandon Sanderson's lectures on YouTube, mm -hmm. he posts his writing science and fiction and fantasy lectures and embedded there like a gem is a something like 40 minute lecture by Mary Robinette Cowell, who okay. I don't know if she's still the president of science fiction and fantasy writers of America, but she's probably my favorite writing teacher 
And I just, I love her books. I love her as a person. And she talks about master texts. Um, and I forget if it okay. was in that presentation, but when she writes, say her Regency fantasy, she reads Jane Austen before she even sits down to write mm. her stuff each time. And I don't quite, I don't quite have that time, but I do try to kind of channel like, okay, Orson Scott card for, uh, for a military sci-fi yeah. or, um, I mean, just, just the local teens for, for that, that sure. Instagram story. Um, and I read, I mean, I read a lot of Howard Pyle as a kid. So the, the Sir Errant feels yeah. the language I feels familiar. And the nice thing that flash fiction has taught me this, this year or two that I've done it with flash fiction magic is that when you've got about 300 words, don't pick the boring word, like yeah. the most specific or the one that will make people stop mm. and think rather than a generic one. So, yeah. And I mean, there are people who say, you know, you can't teach voice. And I feel like maybe someone can't teach you, but you can kind of bring out what, what matters to you. I've heard some people make lists of nouns that matter to them and then try to incorporate them into stories, like 20 nouns that you uh -huh. would want in a story and see what, what can mix in there. And that's more topical, but I feel like that also yeah. draws out what matters to you. That's yeah. a great point too, that that voice is not only word choice and all of that, but also the, the topics you pick, the themes that you write about, the things that matter to you. Yeah. I think um, specificity is such an interesting, like it, it's something that's very hard for me sometimes, but it is something that I'm noticing more and more as I read other things. Like when you use that kind of specificity, it pulls the reader right into the world and they right away know where they are and what, like, does that make sense? It's a way of doing that almost without a lot of description because you use then the language choice gives you the information that you need about the world and right. the character. Yeah, you don't have to info dump. It is, but, you know, to be fair to speculative fiction writers, it's hard to do because if, you, yeah. if you're being specific, you have to make up that specific thing. Right. So whether it's slang or an obscenity or a location, like suddenly that's on you. It's not yes. just they're going to see this kind of, you know, they're standing under a tree. They have to stand up to stand under a tree that you just made up the species for. Right. Um, <laughs> and maybe it's carnivorous. I don't know. <laughs> so it's, it's exhausting to try to bring those things out. So I think that's one mark of really good speculative fiction is that unique specificity, not just what the plot is. Yeah. Um, you can have a damaged girl fighter in, in many different locations. Sure. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> well, and do you want to talk about um, how you approach then the building up of that, those elements of the, what is the important part of whatever story it is you're working on? The, the speculative that actually informs the story as well as the world. Oh yeah. I mean, there's that writing advice that some people love and some people hate, which is write what you know. And, and <laughs> And I, I think, I think that's true as long as you also allow for metaphor. Like my dad was uh, a military officer who had a couple stints teaching at a military academy. So I'm familiar with that world. I'm familiar with the stories mm -hmm. of the pranks that he told. So that kind of informed that, that bullying, uh, you know, get back at you culture that you can then move to space. Like it doesn't have to be <laughs> at a U.S. military academy in, you know, the 2000s. You can move that to space pretty nicely. I feel like 
I really like having themes that come back in my writing. I've, mm-hmm. This month I've written a lot of mom fiction because it's, yeah. it's been a <laughs> mom heavy week. But, but, um, but I, you know, you can set that in space too. <laughs> no, <Absolutely>. no, but, <laughs> but, but as for preparation, I sort of think, like, what do I want to, what do I want to say? I, I really love writing with prompts. I have to yeah. say like, those prompts are a real gift because what you guys have been talking about with poetry, you know, form sometimes can be really freeing yeah. in a yes. counterintuitive way. So in the same way, these prompts for flash fiction really are, are sort of give a form. And I think, okay, well, how can I twist that? Or what, you know, what are people expecting? What could I do instead? So if you're like me finding some restrictions yeah. before you think about what you're going to write, See if you can restrict yourself to your experience or someone, some, have someone give you a prompt. I don't know. <laughs> Is that, <laughs> do you approach even your novels that way a little bit? Like with a, a starting place, a theme or a prompt or a question um, that you want to explore and then explore it? Or how do you approach your, your novels then? Yeah, I mean, I've written two, no, well, the third novel that I've written is at my feet all over <laughs> in pieces. I'm going to edit it. And then that's going to, that's going to like kick it into shape for me. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, so I, I think each one I have to give myself some kind of scaffolding. I'm a super plotter. Mm-hmm. I'm not a discovery writer. So first one, I wanted uh, a sort of fantasy retelling of um, a story from revelation, the woman cloaked with the mm-hmm. sun. And there's a, there's a dragon in there. And I, I think tying myself to that felt good. And then my second one, it's the Y contemporary about military brats. I wanted to do a caricature of a year of my life in high school. It's different people, different events, but I wanted, I wanted it to feel true to that place and that, that sense. And this one is a retelling of Homer's Odyssey in near future so like that's been really fun like how can i how can i tie how can i do all these references and illusions and tie-ins how can it still stand on its own but people who've read the odyssey be like i know what you did there yeah (laughs) so yeah i I, I always restrict myself it it frees me (laughs) i love that so much i love retellings and i'm always up for those kinds of like little (laughs) nods to the original so so that's the one that you're working on right now yeah yeah, I'm printed it all out. I'm reading it aloud. So I sound like a crazy person every night while my husband sits there patiently, <laughs> not listening to me read. And then, um, you know, go through a round of edits. And then I'm excited to have Beth look at it whenever she has time. <laughs> I love that. And what is your editing process typically? See, this is why I'm a super plotter because once I put something down, I have a really hard time like killing that darling and moving that yeah. chapter. <laughs> sadly like I've gone through and you're like you'll see line edits in purple ink but it's more like question mark is this too slow question mark but I haven't actually changed anything <laughs> well, and it can be good to sit with that and yes. before you actually cut it so yeah. that you really think about okay is it doing what I hope it's doing or is it not yeah and- yeah. yeah I'm rereading this and if if I'm brave I'm going to actually retype it like I'm going to <gasps> type it back into the word processor, back into Google Docs. Apparently, I've never done this before, but apparently it really makes you rethink like, okay, Mm -hmm. was that that worth it? Should I retype it that way? Oh, maybe I could redo it this way. I'm going to give it a try. 
we'll see. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard of anyone doing that or thought of that, but it makes sense that it would kind of force you to think about it in a different way. <laughs> Sounds kind of horrible, but I'm, I'm going to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes the, when we realize the cost of something in terms of time, like what it, yeah. we're trying to kind of get around, you know, making it as efficient as possible, that can be a really good way to evaluate and really have that gut check of, is it really worth me typing it out? Exactly. I'm a little worried. I'm going to end up with just like a flash fiction piece out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. And, and when you read it out loud, how do you use that as kind of part of your process? Do you, is mm. it to fine tune the words and the sounds or is it just kind of retelling yourself the story? Yeah. Well, that the post a poet prompt that Allie does, um, yeah. I guess she's at the authoress life at Instagram just doing a couple poems and trying to work with, I've just been working in iambic. Now I'm writing in iambic, <laughs> just in iambic prose. So it, it, it does help me hear in a different way. Even, even reading yes. in my head doesn't quite, yeah. like sometimes something you can read in your head, but it comes out very awkwardly if you try to enunciate yes. it. So yeah, it's worked really nicely. And you're doing a series right now on editing, on, on Instagram about editing. Yeah. Um, that has been fascinating and super helpful, yes. especially since my grammar is not my strong suit and all of those like line edit kind of details. It's just been so interesting. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about what prompted you to do that or where that's coming from? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm super thrifty and I, I usually try to do things myself before I pay someone to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have done copy editing as a job. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a copy editor. But I think there are big things that if people watch out for those and can learn those, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to pay someone 2000 bucks to go over your manuscript, or maybe you can wait sure. and have them do a developmental editor, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like we all maybe snooze through middle school grammar. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, these aren't, these aren't difficult <laughs> concepts, but I think there are things that you can do to make your writing look professional that, yes. that then maybe you don't have to hire someone to make it look professional because no one's looking for perfection. You know, when an agent sure. looks, looks at a manuscript, they're not looking to see if you've hired a professional editor, but they can't, you know, I think it's kind of like having a, a greeting card, like that your formatting is like your greeting card, your grammar is like your greeting card. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but I think just a, a level of professionalism, what I've, what I've heard from editors of short publications and, and agents is that you know, most of the stuff they get is junk. It's, it's off topic. It's not what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then there's a certain cut that's pretty good. And if, if your grammar can nudge you up a little bit or your formatting can nudge you up a bit or your great query letter can nudge you up a bit, all those little things can put you through that bottleneck of finding an agent if you're into, into the traditional publishing world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You don't want that grammar thing to be the, the distraction like it doesn't have to be perfect right. but you don't want it to distract from the story exactly. it has to be just that little bit above what would be normal or, or common yeah exactly is there anything in that that's been most surprising or like like one grammar or editing rule that surprised you or that you were like oh yeah I, I didn't realize that or I struggle with that or one that you think is a common mistake maybe even or that you would share hmm I guess I had a time in my life when I was kind of a snotty stickler. And the <laughs> truth is, especially for fiction writing, is that a lot can be left up to style. 
Now, some of that is once, once you're N.K. Jemison or once you're Charles Dickens, you can do whatever you want. Sure. But if you read N.K. Jemison's writing, there's, there's nary a comma there. Like, where did all her commas go? But it gives her writing this sort of like mythic breathlessness or something. So mm. sometimes learn the rules to break them uh, yeah. and, and, and know that the editors, the copy editors, the really good ones treat each manuscript as its own beast like it's not like they're out to make everything standardized the good ones will try to make yours more you yeah Um, that's such a great point and that goes back to voice too that even your grammar can be a way of of communicating your voice and getting that feel of what feels like your writing Um, yeah yeah all the m dashes for me all the (laughs) (laughs) me too i love an m dash (laughs) there's nothing an m dash can't do Do you have any resources for kind of that type of guidance uh, in addition to your posts, which are fantastic oh, yeah. um, that, you, that you would recommend? Yeah. Don't go and crack open Chicago manual style. You like fall asleep after yeah. page two, <laughs> but there's a great book and I don't even know how to pronounce his name because I'm a writer. It's either Dreyer or Dreyer, mm-hmm. but it's Dreyer's English It's put out by the copy chief of Random House. And it is a short little book on kind of the highlights of the things that you need to know or that you never knew if you were me. And it is funny. It clips along. He has anecdotes. And you come out the other side thinking, wow, I've learned a lot. Um, (laughs) So that's what got me starting this series on Instagram is realizing this is accessible. This is doable. And it doesn't have to be boring. And I do now I do go back to the Chicago manual style. But really, you don't you don't need to go that deep. Dreyer or Dreyer's English will do it for you. So thanks to Sarah Adler for that recommendation. I love that. And one of my favorites of the posts that you have up is about passive voice, where at the end you say with zombies or by zombies, (laughs) by zombies, (laughs) by zombies. (laughs) And it's, that was such a great trick that also since it's zombies, you remember, like, yeah, Yeah, I wish that was my trick, but I'll I'll pass that one on because it's so useful. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about querying? Or yeah, um, I know that, that you have queried agents, and I'm curious, just um, any advice that you would have for those seeking to go the traditional route? And yeah, what was your experience like querying? And, and if you would just share a little bit of that. Yeah, I um, I would say right now publishing is sort of slow, like snail in molasses on a glacier. <laughs> Uh, like I, I've, I have waited for four babies and I'm still surprised at how I can feel impatient at the world of publishing, um, for querying or submitting, say a short story to a, to a market. I, I find that I have the most success, whether it's for a full request or just a cover letter, um, being specific again, a a little bit of, of humor can help my, my most Mm -hmm. successful query letter version, because it's sometimes it's good to have versions, like send out a few, see how they fly, see if you get yeah. feedback, but know that right now it is so slow. I am not actively querying right now, but, but I've got a short story that I was supposed to hear back from at the beginning of last month. And they're like, sorry, we'll, we'll let you know. I just pinged them again today. So I would say, number one, ask a lot of people, like if you're going to query, make a list, 180, 100, like, and know that it only takes one. Yes. 
if you're if you're not getting the responses, if you're just getting form rejections, know that it, it isn't necessarily you. Agents are pretty pretty slammed right now, so mm-hmm. it, it isn't necessarily that. Oh, you would have gotten personalized request if your query had been better. I think right now they're just doing a lot of yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. That said, if you think about what the query letter does, it makes them want to read. Most agents will read on no matter what. I mean, unless the query letter is totally off base and not something they represent. But know that it may be the material that they use to shop you to editors. Mm -hmm. So think about like down the line what you want to be saying. And probably the, the best advice that that I have is give them a why. Like Mm -hmm. for me, my why is I wrote about military brats because no one's writing about military brats because this is 1.2 million children who have this unique experience that no one is talking about in traditional Mm -hmm. publishing. There are a few cute picture books and and that are really helpful about talking about deployment or why mom or dad are leaving. No one's talking about military teams. So that that to me that I could sit, I could give those stats in my query letter. Yes. Um, I have another friend who is traditionally agented and has sold her manuscript. She um, suffers from epilepsy and wrote about a teen with epilepsy. That was her why. So if you can yeah. somehow convey why the agent should care, even if they don't have epilepsy, even if they're not a military brat, if you can make them care and then know that they can make someone else care, that seems to be like that that got me the most full requests that's interesting and that goes back to writing what you know right like even if you twist it in some way or make it different or put it in a different setting um writing something that matters to you um, makes sense that that would have more power or or go farther yeah and I think that will come through in your writing and querying with with the most authenticity I'm not saying don't don't write about griffins or whatever but (laughs) if you can somehow make yourself care Mm-hmm. Or, or yourself care about those readers who will be experiencing it and making that story with you. Mm-hmm. I think that has gotten the most response. And that's such great advice too, to just know that it is a hard time right now in publishing it's and like so to have patience with yourself and with the industry and all that. I've heard a lot lately that there's a lot of editors that have stepped down and yep. a lot of books yeah. are getting, the publishing dates are getting pushed back. Like it's just kind of a rough season, it seems like. Yeah, I think a lot of people have pandemic fatigue. Um, yeah, I think a lot yeah. of industries are seeing a lot of exits. So yeah, pandemic mm-hmm. fatigue, um, supply chain stuff with with paper. I kind of wonder if there's a lot of people who wrote books too during COVID. Oh, <laughs> so yes. now you yeah, have yeah. like this <laughs> influx of all these people wanting to query and there's like yeah. um, not as many people willing to read them or agents that are available to read them. Yep, yeah. it's everyone's pandemic novel for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You either made sour bread or wrote a novel. And yeah, right. I know also that you had mentioned you've um, submitted and had accepted several short stories. Um, I know that the uh, the candy shop, which I have read, um, is in the daily science fiction. And yeah. um, it, there's another one that's coming as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't have a publication date on it, but I have sold, I, I actually just got a, con- I haven't gotten my contract, but I did sell another one to Daily Science Fiction and I, I'm under contract with Cosmic Roots and Eldritch Shores, which is, I, I've been aiming for um, 
the SFWA markets, that stands for Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Mm-hmm. See that three times yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that was just a goal I set for myself last summer. If you sell three short stories to approved markets, and the stories, I think the stories have to be a certain length, then you can join CIFWA. Part of it was a challenge. Part of it was I would like that acronym on my you know, yes. my bio, I, I think it gives some credibility. You also get yeah. kind of weird, cool benefits. Like you can use their lounge at cons, like a convention. Uh-huh. Uh, oh. So I was like, oh, like my husband That's likes nice. to go to cons. So I was like, I'll take you to the lounge. Maybe <laughs> Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, again, it's, I think for me, it's another example of just giving myself a restriction yes. and, and a goal. And that makes me produce. Um, mm. Maggie Stiefvater talks about how she wrote a short story every week for a year before she kind of got super, super, super famous. I don't really have the, the oomph to do a short story, but that's been the beauty of this flash fiction. It makes me produce an idea every week to remind myself that even if things get rejected, there's always another idea. Um, Short fiction is a great way. You know, a lot of the greats got in that way. Orson Scott Card wrote hundreds of short stories before he started writing his novels. And I will say that all of my, like, I feel like most of my good ideas start out as a flash fiction. Sometimes I write them into a short story and some of those sell. And then my current novel started as a flash fiction idea that then I turned into a short story that now I want to expand to a novel. So I feel like it's a great exercise and you can sell it at any point along the way. Yeah. If you want to. I agree. I I found it to be such an interesting way to play with an idea and just kind of see, does this have the seeds of something more or not? And, and to kind of force yourself to keep writing every week. <laughs> um, okay. I've never been to a conference before. So would you talk a little bit about conferences and <laughs> what that's like? What you're like a writing to? conference? Yeah. Or just, I oh. mean, or even, um, well, I have not been to a writing conference. <laughs> I meant conventions like, um, sorry, yes. gaming conventions. Okay. And I have not been, but my husband's been but okay. I have, I have four kids. So I've lived under a rock for the last 10 years. <laughs> Every time there was some post on like during the pandemic or like the height of the pandemic, people being like, Oh, I miss going out. I was like, welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> we are all simulating my life right now. I'm staying yes. at home. <laughs> um, so I have, so unfortunately okay. I have nothing to say, I, but I will say I would love to go to a writing conference. However, I don't think they're necessary. Mm-hmm. Like networking. Cool. I've networked locally pretty successfully. Um, And often I find when I pay for a writing class, that's great. But if someone has written a book, buy the $12 book before you do the $400 writing class, they've had to condense their words and you will always have their words with you. And it's so cheap. Like, (laughs) I I really do want to do an Instagram series sometime, like what maybe when I'm more successful or legitimate to be like, you don't have to spend a ton of money. You don't have to fly places. You can do it right from your house. <laughs> it's the, it's, <laughs> yes, it's the pandemic lesson that maybe many of us have learned. You can do it from your house. Yes. Well, even um, the lectures you were talking about from um, Sanderson, right? Yeah. Um, th- those are available and it's like, those things are free. We can if we know that they're there, we can go and get them and just watch right them. I love that. 
Yeah. And Authors Published does some great free lecture series that if you're signed up to their newsletter, they they send you markets that are accepting submissions. And then every once in a while, they'll say, hey, you know, and they're usually gateways to a class like this person is going to give a lecture on this. You can sign up for their class here. But there is Mm -hmm. so much free stuff out there that I I rarely. Well, I have this game with myself that I am not allowed to eat more than I kill. Like I'm not allowed to spend more on writing than I earn. (laughs) <laughs> so so like when I, when I sell a that story a I'm like rule. sweet I'm gonna buy a craft book or like <laughs> in my last story that I sold I was like sweet I can pay back to look at my next <laughs> I love it <laughs> so, so I'm a big believer in like keeping things frugal keeping things yes. manageable you know you you don't need to be privileged my family lives a solidly five-figure scruffy little life and I think you can write a lot on that and libraries have lots of craft books too. <laughs> I'm all about that. <laughs> I would not read nearly as much if I had to buy. Oh, no, 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 no. So about the short story submissions, do you just generally send them out, or it, uh, do you wait for specific ones? Do you are is there a newsletter that you're part of? So how do you find them basically? Yeah, I mean, I if I'm just hoping to get something published by an SFWA market, their membership page has the approved list. So I kind of go through and each publication has its own character. So I I doubt I'm going to ever get anything dark and complex published on like Apex or something like that, or, or like horror, whatever. But daily science fiction is usually like light and messagey. Um, and cosmic roots tends to be like sort of magical and positive. So I would say, uh, yeah, the SFWA membership list is a great one if you're looking for SIFWA membership. Uh, AuthorsPublish.com has a fantastic newsletter. They ping you every week with opportunities and contests and submissions, and that's free. Submission Grinder is a great one because you can go on and say it's searchable, kind of almost like it's like eBay for writers. You're like, okay, I want a uh, flash fiction for fantasy that pays eight cents a word. And it'll say, okay, it's, it's these three things. And then you can click on those publications and they'll give you graphs of expected um, rejection percentages. Like, oh, oh they reject 98% of their stuff. Maybe I'll try a different one. Or, yeah. or all oh, these people get back to you in three days. So even if they have a super high rejection rate, it won't cost you much time and it'll tell you whether they accept simultaneous submissions. So those three have been pretty key for me just sort of honing in on and where and what to submit. Yeah. That's great. I hadn't heard of (laughs) that last one. That's really awesome. So we like to end by just asking for one piece of advice that you have for other writers. Um, Maybe the thing that you wish someone had told you earlier or that you had known earlier, or maybe just that thing that kind of keeps you going or is that that piece of advice that you hold on to or hold close, however you want to take that. Yeah, it, it sounds so obvious, but I would say think about the ideal reader that you're looking for, because so often we're at our desk, at our computer, in our heads, thinking about what are we, we writing, me, me, me. Well, that was a nice turn of phrase by me. If you're a praying person, pray for your reader, because I feel like just just shifting that mindset back to what do these readers want? What do these readers need? It just shifts my perspective about why I'm doing what I'm doing, because so often it just feels like my hobby for me. So, So thinking about the reader or praying for them, if you're a praying person, really helps me. That's so, so good too, to just remember 
like it's easy for me to get kind of stuck in my head and when I remember that someone else is going to read this and then it doesn't just belong to me even I think that's also helpful for me when I'm editing and revising because I can like that's when I get really precious about my my darlings like when I'm really like just thinking of what I like and well I like this scene but the moment that I start to think outside of that and to a broader you know to broaden my thinking to include all of the people I want to read this book then I can step back enough sometimes to see like okay yeah this isn't really needed for the story or this isn't gonna really you know it might be like my little personal favorite but it, it might not really actually um serve the reader I know there's an I wish I could remember which author it was but he says he tries to re reread his stuff as he's editing with someone he loves in mind mm. someone he hates in mind and someone he respects in mind interesting and, and I don't know if I do that necessarily but like if if I think of okay, well, what if, what if my dad was to read this? Like, uh -huh. and not necessarily, not everything's for my dad, but like sure. that, that idea of who all are you writing for or writing, who, who would see your writing yeah. and, does, and who matters to you? Who do you, who do you want to matter to you? Who, who do you give the opinions to? Yeah, that's a great point too. Like you're not going to be for everyone, but it's kind of who, who do you want to be for and who do you, who matters yeah. to you? Yeah. I think that's, there's some balance there too, though. Like, I don't know for myself, I'm finding lately, especially like I can also get so externally focused that then I like get panicky or yeah. like, um, so I like that, like narrowing it down to a particular person, I think helps with that too. Cause then it's not like, well, I have to write what the market wants and I have to figure out what is this selling and how, how do I do this? And what are, and that like I panicky thing kind of gets eliminated when it's no, I'm, I'm writing for this person or this, yes. um, these few people or whatever sure. uh, makes it more manageable. Yay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Taryn. This was a delight and I am so excited to see your books on shelves in the future. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, thanks for having yes. me on guys. This was so fun. Yeah, such an so honor. Fun.